I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the athletic hockey show. Man, time is winding down about two and a half weeks, give or take, to the start of the NHL playoffs. Lots going on, but I want to welcome in my partner and good friend Pierre Lebrun. And first of all, how are you feeling, my friend? I, it's been uh, it's been a, a tough few days for you as as you join the ranks of the vaccinated. Yeah, well, our, just before we went to air, our producer Jeff and I comparing notes. Uh, <laughs> both had a tough twenty-four hours, and uh, but it's all good. It's all good, you know. That's uh, I think it's a good sign. It means that uh, the vaccine's doing its work. But yeah, I was I was in bed for a good twenty hours. Uh, it was it was not pretty, but uh, coming out of it now, my friend. If I if my voice sounds a little shaky, it might be because I'm still coming out of it, but uh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, well, and it's, I, I mean, we, of course, everything is shot through the prism of the National Hockey League and the game of hockey here, but certainly, you know, with the availability of, of vaccines here in the United States at a, an unprecedented level and, and hopefully things getting better and better in Canada, it does sort of set up the uh, sort of an in- interesting dynamic as we move forward. Um, you know, what it might look like late in the playoffs, the ability for teams to cross the border. I mean, still so much unknown. But the other thing, and I haven't really given it much thought, maybe because I didn't have any uh, side effects. Uh, and of course, it's always only about me. But that would be that's got to be some of the issues, right? And and we know that a lot of the teams in in the United States um, have given players and staff the opportunity to to go and get vaccinated and have you know, have, have, um, squared away some time to do that, but boy, you gotta be, you'd want to make sure your schedule allowed for these kinds of, you know, 24 to whatever it is, 30, 48 hours of potential side effects. If you, you know, when you're, when you're contemplating the, the vaccines, right. In terms of being able to play hockey. All the more, you know, perhaps thorny an issue for the Canadian teams is that, you know, none of the Canadian teams want to jump the queue, of course. And so, you know, I'm, I'm 
49 and just got my shot in the natural rhythm of things because it was 40 and over right now in Ontario anyway. But, um, you know, eventually you're going to get to the 20 and over players here in Canada. Is that going to be right around the start of the playoffs or in the middle of the first round? So, yeah, interesting. But I would imagine players will want to get it as soon as possible. Um, no question. And I should mention, by the way, uh, um, interesting tidbit that I came across from the Monday's Board of Governors meeting in which I'm told that Gary Bettman, uh, let's put it this way, he had everyone's attention, talk, talked about on Monday's call to the governors that the league is pretty much almost run out of runway here to uh, reschedule games and that please do not let your guard down with the protocols because... Uh, and this is a governor that relayed all this to me because, you know, if your team has a serious outbreak like Vancouver, not to pick on Vancouver, the Canucks didn't do anything wrong. But if, if, if your team has a serious outbreak, the outside of the playoffs, that could be it. We're not delaying the playoffs. Yep. The season might could end that way for a team. And it's a bit chilling to think about given everything that every team has gone through to get to this point and to, sort of forge ahead and, and play in this pandemic season. But boy, would that be a horrible thought that a team season could end with an outbreak, but there's really no other choice. I, I don't know what the league could do. We're, and again, we're talking about a serious outbreak here, not, not a few right. days delay, but uh, if, you know, if we're talking about a three week outbreak, like the Canucks um, went through and with the variant, uh, the variant, that's that's a scary thing, and and so it's interesting that that was brought up on Monday's Board of Governors call, and I think the point is not only that the Canadian teams remain at risk, but that the message was probably just as much for the American teams who are mostly vaccinated now, Scott. That do not let your guard down, right? Right. Yeah. And and so it was interesting to hear that that Bettman sort of covered that uh, in Monday's call. Well, and it's a great segue because we'll talk a little bit about the new broadcast deal announced on Tuesday between the NHL and Turner Sports. Um, but I thought it interesting during um, the sort of the latter stages of the, of the media briefing and uh, it, um, Gary was asked about um, you know, protocols and, uh, you know, some, some of the things that were, you know, that maybe in the offing as we head toward the end of the regular season and start of the playoffs and, uh, um, he talked about the protocols being effective, and I'll use the quotes here, particularly when they're adhered to, right. which seems to me to go with what you're saying is a, a, a very, you know, a, a not so subtle reminder that don't be, don't be going outside the box. Don't be at this stage of the season, especially, you know, stay vigilant and, um, and, and hopefully that's what happens. So, right. Yeah. And, and listen, I mean, I'm, sensitive to Robin Leonard's comments from last week. And, you know, I was recently talking to a coach who, uh, you know, hasn't seen his wife in a couple of months and, yep. uh, you know, cause they're on separate sides of the border. There is a huge human side to all this, a mental health awareness side to all this. And it's been hard, but that's what, I mean, I hate to say this, but that's what everyone signed up for. Uh, you know, that these, this is how the year would, would play out. And, it's super hard, and I really feel, you know, for the players especially. But they, you know, I don't see any reason why the protocols would soften from here to the Stanley Cup. If anything, they, 
you know, you want to make sure you stay on it so that, like I said, you don't want a, a team season to end in an outbreak. Yeah, no, that that's you. You're right. You've traveled this road. Stay on it and 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 get to the end, right? I mean, that's it's, it's pretty simple stuff. Although I I, I do I'm, I'm with you, you know. Well, especially the CDC just announced this week, you know, sort of the 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 they're relaxed on the guidelines with the not having to wear a mask outside and uh, being able to do certain things if you're fully vaccinated, all those kinds of things. And really, it's a reminder of if you get vaccinated, you are going to be able to get closer and closer to a normal life. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, the NHL, that's not part of, you know, they're, they're, theirs isn't a normal life. So you can't get there just yet. I mean, soon enough, but got some hockey to play yet. Um, so let's move on. Uh, wh- what did you make of... Uh, Turner Sports sort of coming a, a little bit out of left field for the B package. I think, you know, I, I don't think it was all that big a surprise that NBC w- was going to sort of move on from its longstanding relationship with the National Hockey League after ESPN got the the, the big package. Uh, but lots of discussion about, OK, who might come in and fill in the gaps with the smaller B package. Um, but I, I really uh, I thought it was I thought it was sort of a, a breath of fresh air. Very interesting that Turner Sports. Um, lands that package, the possibility with HBO Max to get in on the, uh, on the coverage mm-hmm. of the NHL. And what, is there not now just an open door for another team here in Atlanta? I, I've, I've already <laughs> made, I've already made plans now. To, I'm going to rent out some space here at the house in case the broadcasters need a place to stay when they come do their shows. I, I, I think the NHL has done that twice, Scotty. And I think it's, uh, that door is closed forever. Um, <laughs> No, I never saw Turner coming into this at all. Um, really interesting. You know, you kind of assume that if it wasn't NBC, it would be Fox. Or would they go streaming? You know, would Amazon get in there? Uh, had not heard a whiff of Turner until it happened. And I know that from all accounts, it was really out of left field for the NHL as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, listen, given given these pandemic times and, and where money is for a lot of people, uh, I think the league ends up doing okay here with, with ESPN and Turner. Yeah, no, it's a, it's good stuff. Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm, are you getting, are you fully, not fully, but are you edging towards sort of playoff mode? That was a huge win for Montreal against Calgary on Monday evening. Uh, to me, that takes, you know, a significant amount of pressure off the Canadians. It's hard to imagine either Calgary or Vancouver, uh, even with some games in hand, you know, sort of challenging in, in the North. There's still a terrific dogfight in the Central Division for fourth place with uh, the uh, Dallas Stars and Nashville Predators. And I, you know what? I, I got so excited about talking to you and, and hearing how you were feeling. I forgot to mention we were going to have Stan Bowman, the GM of the Chicago Blackhawks, join mm-hmm. us in a few minutes. Uh, Blackhawks have fallen off the pace in the Central, but uh, um, lots of lots of interesting dynamics within the Central Division vis-a-vis fourth place. Uh, what do you, you know? What do you, how are you feeling playoff gear up wise? Well, I, I worked that broadcast for TSN on Monday night, that Montreal-Calgary game, uh, and uh, that might have been <laughs> one of the most unattractive hockey games I've seen all year. <laughs> uh, but I think from a Habs perspective, they, they you know they, they got her done. That's all they care about. But that was that was tough to watch at times. But how about Tyler Toffoli? I mean, yeah. you know, the Habs have, have been so inconsistent and are struggling to score again. But what a story he's been individually like. You know, I tweeted this over the weekend, but, you know, I understand why Canucks fans are still so upset at, at, at their team for letting Tyler Toffoli go. And, it, and I get it. But 
Tyler Toffoli did not sign until the third day of free agency with Montreal. Like, what are 30 other teams doing? (laughs) It's not like you don't think Tyler Toffoli can score 30 goals. Uh, And as it turns out, he's having a much better season than that, uh, you know, in a shortened season. I mean, it's crazy what he's doing, but that's, that's, uh, that's a remarkable story uh, that he was just sitting there for three days and now he's third or fourth in the league in scoring and goal scoring. So you see the Habs a lot. Like I watch, uh, I, I'm watching on television, but I'm not, I'm not breaking down their games like, like you are almost every night. And, and but I keep, I keep, and I say this at home and I, my son and I have this, it's not, he dismisses my argument uh, almost out of hand. I, I still think, Montreal Canadiens, and, and let's assume that Carey Price is going to come back. He's been in concussion protocol, but he will come back. And let's, you know, let's assume good health for Carey Price going into the playoffs. I still think Montreal Canadiens are built to be a handful in the playoffs. And I know they play poorly, and I know it's been disappointing. And, you know, they made a race where there should have been no question that they were going to lock up at least fourth place in the, in the North. So it hasn't gone down that way. I still think that team has the potential and especially because it looks now for sure they're going to play Montreal or Toronto, rather, uh, who looks locked into first place in the North. I, I still think they have the potential to give the Leafs all they can handle. I, am I completely out to lunch on this? No, I mean, listen, the Leafs are, are going to be a, a decided favorite, but you're right. I mean, the Habs are more built for the playoffs, especially when the officiating standard shifts a bit. Oh my gosh, are we allowed to say that? Is that is that reality? <laughs> Um, you know, because the Habs uh, special teams are not their friend, but suddenly when when you can get away with a bit more and slowing down the skilled players on on the Leafs and and the Oilers and so on, that that can only advantage Montreal. They've just been so inconsistent, though, that I, I can't tell you which version of the team would show up in the playoffs. I mean, there are nights I was talking to a NHL head coach about this this week, where he's like, some nights he looks at them and says. Okay, they're going to be a grinding tough out, but then two nights later, he's like, they're not very good, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's just what they've been. Uh, they've been yeah. really inconsistent. Now, you know, come playoff time, Brendan Gallagher should be back or in around there. And don't have to tell you how big a loss he's been to that team. Sure. And they also get out of their cap slash recall issues come to playoffs. I mean, they could dress all their kids or not all their kids, like, you know, Caulfield yeah. and. Romanoff and Jake Evans, um, they can dress whoever they want come playoff time. So, yes, I mean, with a healthy carry price, you never know. But I, I will tell you that I feel like the Leafs have answered every single question thrown at them. I mean, they, they really are, the, I think, the, the class of the division. All right. We, so, and I'm with you. And I don't want to jinx it, but boy, I, I can't wait for Toronto, Montreal. Like, we've been talking about this for years now. Like, you and I. At 1979. I know. We're always, you know, okay, what would have to happen? And boy, it looks like it's going to happen. So, anyway, we'll see what happens in the next two weeks. There are two other playoff races. I alluded to the Nashville, uh, Dallas tilt, both, uh, both teams taking it on the chin last night in the second of back to backs. Uh, that Dallas schedule is just murderous. If I'm not mistaken, they finished with seven straight on the road. It's 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 just it, it, it's amazing what that Dallas Stars team has done after their uh, COVID outbreak to, to start the season, to stay in the hunt and all the injuries. I mean, we still haven't seen Tyler Sagan yet. Ben Bishop won't be back. Radulov won't be back. Uh, anyway, but the I mean, to me that the one it's it's been such a, a dynamic, compelling story. 
what Jason Robertson is doing there and how he seems to be prepared to go toe-to-toe with the star of the West Division, Kirill uh, Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild, who I think a long time ago we had seeded the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. But what a race for both those kids. And both those kids are so critical to the successes of their teams. I wonder what you make of it. And, you know, you you and I vote on the Calder. What's it been like to watch those two kids and and specifically as as their teams have, I think it's fair to say, and probably in both cases, have probably exceeded expectations given the circumstances that surround both of them? Yeah, it's interesting. I was watching the overtime the other night where J.B. Ben scored the overtime winner, but Robertson set him up and just a beauty feed. And he doesn't look like a rookie to me, um, that's for sure. But, you know, you mentioned Montreal being kind of the wounded animal who might be dangerous come playoff time. What about Dallas? I mean, Stanley Cup finalists, uh, the whole world is against them but in terms of everything that's been thrown at them this year. If they somehow got in, isn't that the ultimate wounded animal? Uh, I mean, geez, that's uh, – now, the way Carolina's playing right now, I don't know if anyone can beat Carolina. And, of course, you got Tampa, Florida. So, it, it is a top-heavy division, but – um, I, I would say that the stars, to me, are a more dangerous uh, first-round foe than Nashville, I think, all yeah. things being equal. Yeah, no question. Uh, speaking of dangerous animal, uh, what about the St. Louis Blues? <laughs> Such an odd kind of dynamic with the Blues, they, you know, as they've gone along here and, you know, sort of – sort of aimless for a bit of it and, and really taking advantage of a, of, of a very soft uh, lower half of that division with all due respect to the Arizona Coyotes and the three California teams. But, you know, the Blues are, are back in fourth place. I can't imagine that they're not going to end up in fourth place in that division. The Coyotes just, they can't, you know, they're, they're minus 24 goal differential. They just, they're just, they're two and eight in their last 10. Anyway, with all due respect to the Coyotes, they're cooked. But you talk about they're not to me they're not so much the wounded animal, but are are the Blues the kind of team where you're like, oh my gosh, let's not let's not assume, and whether it's Colorado or Vegas, it ends up it's likely going to be Vegas, I think, at first. But let's not assume this is a cakewalk in the first round for a team that two years ago won a Stanley Cup, right. has Ryan O'Reilly, has uh, Tory Krug, who I think is finally finding a groove there. Uh, that depth, all that kind of stuff. What do you, what do you make of the Blues and and how this is possibly shaping up as we go into the last couple of weeks? You know, it, it's such an interesting division. I I, uh, I actually have a piece running today about the Avalanche. Who you know, yes, I just think I, saw it. I think they're the team to beat. But Vegas will have something to say about that. But here's the thing: we have preordained a Vegas Colorado second round for so long that <laughs> there are a couple of things that are interesting that are at play here. One is that Minnesota is just not going away. Yes. I mean, they were just unbelievable. And Joe Sackick really uh, had a lot of complimentary things to say about the Wild when I asked him about them this week. Um, but you're right. And then you got the Blues who were so inconsistent and looked terrible one week, but then look like the old champs the next week. Who knows what version you're going to get from them. But at the end of the day, uh, who's going to take them lightly? So, you know, I, I still think we're going to get Vegas, Colorado in the second round. But it, it's it's – it's not the automatic ticket that I think maybe six weeks ago we would have thought, right? It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and, and I like the uh, 
you know, to me, and maybe I just project, but to me, Minnesota is going to be one of those teams. Maybe the Blues, too, because the expectations w- will certainly be muted come playoff time. But both Minnesota and St. Louis, to me, have that benefit of it's like found money, especially Minnesota. Like, uh, oh, you yeah. know. You know, and what a great job by Dean Evison and Bill Guerin there. And, you know, the kids getting an opportunity and really even before our eyes, you know, we're seeing some of those veteran players, you know, Zach Parise has had to, you know, assume a, a, a different lesser role with that team. But some, those other, the kids have really sort of stepped into the fore and, my, and they're, they're a ton of fun to watch now. And I, you know, in the past, sort of Minnesota was kind of like, well, kind of plodding. They were like, you know, anyway, it wasn't appointment hockey. But I, I love the way they play, and you're right. And they are they are going to be a handful. Getting the goaltending, Cam Talbot's been really, really good. I, it's 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 a ton of fun. So I'm um, so let me ask it as a question. You know, where do you where do you have a guy like Dean Evison, who's who, I think fair to say low profile among NHL coaches? But it, it, is he in? It, should he be in your discussion for the Jack Adams as coach of the year? Well, he will be for sure because the Jack Adams with all due respect, is an award for the most surprising team. <laughs> no, true. I mean, it, is. Yeah, it, it, is, it just sure. is what it is. So, And so he will deservedly get some talk. And I think Joel Quenville, for my money, will probably win it uh, because no one had the Panthers doing what they're doing in Florida. And and again, it's not like Rob Brindamore hasn't done a great job in Carolina. Uh, you know, it's not like Jared Bendar, who never gets a sniff because the Avs are just good all the time. You know, Pete DeBoer... But those teams are supposed to win. Yes. So yep. I really think, you know, Dean Evison and Joel Quenville probably going to be a big part of the conversation. I, I wonder if Mike Sullivan does not I mean, I think some people wondered about Pittsburgh's window and where that team was headed. And uh, the Penguins, I think, you know, it's funny. I think some people just look at the brand and say, oh, yeah, the Penguins are there again. I don't think there was any guarantee the Penguins would do this again this year, in my mind. No. No, absolutely not. It, well, and so uh, we're going to talk to Stan Bowman as as promised uh, in a moment or two. Uh, what do you what's what's on your mind? You want to talk a little East? You want to talk Connor McDavid? What's I give? I you know you're you're getting up. You you're playing hurt. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you take the reins here as we close out this segment. What do you? <laughs> well, what's on I, your mind? I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, what Connor McDavid continues to do is just ridiculous, and and he's going to win the Hart Trophy. Will it be one of the most lopsided votes in many years, do you think? Like, so I don't want to embarrass any of our colleagues in the PHWA, but what I fear because we have open ballots, I fear for the writers who don't vote their first ballot to contact David for the kind of derision they're going to take from people, right? Yeah. I mean, how, how, is he, how is he not on everyone's ballot as the first choice? Yeah, it's like it is unbelievable. I, I remember writing this at the start of the season that, you know, to me, one of the challenges for Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, of course, the defending uh, Hart Trophy winner from uh, from last season, was was to evolve their game and to be, you know, to you know, to be like not like Steve Eiserman was at the end, you know, sort of Frank Selke trophy worthy, but but really become more complete players. And and, and I think you see that. I just think he plays such a, a a different game now, but it, it all come, you know, his his dynamic presence every night. It's every, I can't wait to watch the Oilers play because you just don't know what he's going to do, and he's oh he is he. You're right, it, and, and, and there's no question. Imagine. Like I, I think you know, I'll obviously 
talk to a lot of different coaches and scouts and do my homework like you do at the end of the year before we vote. And I think Patrick Kane will be on my ballot somewhere, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Alexander Barkov, who still to this day is one of the most underrated superstars in our league, by the way. Um, you know, Andre Vasilevsky, but there's a lot of good names that can fill out a five-man ballot. There's only one name at the top. Like yeah. th- This is one of the easiest heart trophy decisions that I can recall in 26 years of voting. Yeah, it, it really is. And in fact, I, you know, part of the discussion, I've seen it framed this way now is, it, you know, the race for second. Like who is in? And, and you mentioned there's some great, there's some great names and there's some really interesting, you know, sort of dynamics of once you get past Connor McDavid at number one and you know, Sidney Crosby in, in Pittsburgh, a team that has just been, you know, de- decimated by injury and lot, you know, lots of turmoil around the Penguins. And there they are. I don't know if they're still in first place today, but within a point of first place point, you know, he's, he's having another terrific year. And the guy I watched last night, now they got, they ended up losing to Florida, but how important is UC Saros to, to the Nashville Predators dead and buried. And now, you know, really control their own destiny uh, in terms of getting back to the playoffs. He, UC Saros has been a one man band there because the Preds are not very dynamic. They get outshot every single night, but he has, he has carried them to the cusp of a playoff spot. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the rest of the bout looks after Connor McDavid. Yeah. And, and, you know, regardless of all this all ends for Nashville this year, don't you think that Saros's play is the prevailing story for that franchise? Because they've been waiting, right? They've been waiting for him to take the mantle and, and, and to be legit with it. So that's been a really good story. Yeah. A lot of good. And the and some of those kids, uh, Cunning and, uh, uh, Tolvanen finally really sort of hitting his stride a little bit of a, a, a you know a dip recently, but you can see now that it, the next wave is is sort of is is right there, and that's a, you know I mean that's an important franchise, and not just because I can drive there in four and a half hours, and <laughs> frankly, who does not want to go to Nashville at some point? So uh, anyway, that's uh, yeah, it's exciting stuff. So all right, we are going to chat with. Chicago Blackhawks GM Stan Bowman, as promised. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Joining us through the wonders of technology now, Chicago Blackhawks GM Stan Bowman. Stan, thanks for coming to hang out with us. It, it's been a while. I, I always feel... No, we in the normal world, you know, our paths would cross, and whether it's in Chicago or GM's meetings or wherever, I I, I feel a little bit out of touch. But uh, but thanks for coming to to hang out with Pierre and I today. Absolutely, uh, you're right. It's strange how we haven't really crossed paths and w- with a lot of people with 
the way the world's going, but we've learned how to connect virtually and it's been a, a decent surrogate. <laughs> well, let's start with, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, as we get down the stretch here with the, the Blackhawks, I, I think sort of externally, you know, people would look at this team and say, you know, this has been a pretty successful year. You know, kids have really stepped to the, the forefront, played meaningful games well into the final third of the season, final quarter of the season. And I'm wondering if that's, do you, how do you judge it? What kind of measuring stick are you using for, for this Chicago team that, that really, you know, I think is in, you know, we're, we're starting to see sort of the, the changing of the guard and, and, and a new kind of identity, new kind of leaders on that team. What, how do you judge this season for the Blackhawks? Uh, I think you summed it up pretty well there. We, we, we talked about this back in the off season. It was early October. We came out saying that we were going to be focusing on our young players, giving them an opportunity to grow. And, you know, with that sometimes comes some uneven performances. But we knew that the path forward for us was to uh, give bigger opportunities to a number of young players. And, you know, those plans certainly got accelerated when we got the news uh, right before the season broke that uh, Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taves, Alex Nylander, those three guys weren't going to be playing, certainly for the first stretch of the year. We, we've since got Kirby to come back. Um, but it was uh, it forced us to really even uh, go further down that path with relying on young players. And, you know, you're right, we've seen – We've seen a little bit of a transformation. Our team is very young right now. Um, you know, for a long time there, we had a pretty stable group of players and probably tilted more towards the veterans. And <clears throat> as time has gone on, we've, we've shifted. So now, um, you know, the, the fact we had a really good, uh, well, tough start to the year, but then we really got things going for uh, a pretty good stretch there. And um, we haven't played as well lately. And I, I think, um, you know, the, the measuring stick isn't so much the standings. It's, it's the way that our team looks and the roles that the younger players have, because that's what, uh, we're going to be able to build on in the coming seasons. Yeah. I, I, although you do have a veteran player, we were just talking about the, uh, the heart trophy conversation, Stan, and, you know, I don't want to put you in a tough spot because I know you're obviously going to have a bit of a bias, but, what Connor McDavid is doing right now, it's just it's just mind-blowing to me. But I did mention that a guy like Patrick Kane undoubtedly will be on my ballot. And, you know, with all the young faces in your lineup and the transition in minutes and roles and sort of the evolution of your team, it, it's I think it's amazing to see that he continues to do what he does almost in an unflinching way. Do you agree? Like, in other words, you know, the – your teammates keep changing. The team's getting younger, but Patrick Kane's his consistency at an elite level. I, I this might be one of his greatest years ever. Yeah, you're right, Pierre. I, I I've had the pleasure to watch him play for a long, long time. And um, what's amazing about Patrick is as he gets older, he seems to be uh, able to maintain his level. And if anything, he's elevated his level the last few seasons here, which is unusual for players as they get into their early thirties. Uh, I think with him, it, it's gets, he's got such good uh, instincts and, and hockey sense and it allows him uh, and his, you know, his skill level hasn't dropped off at all. So I think if anything, he's, 
he's learned over time, you know, through experience, uh, how to be even better. So this has been, he's been tremendous this season. And, uh, even going back the last couple, uh, he, he seems to keep getting better, which is really unusual for players as they get to that stage of their career. Um, you know, it looks like he's going to play another 10 or 15 years at this point, just the way that he's <laughs> playing. Um, so yeah, he's been our, he's certainly been our leader this year. He's taken on more of a leadership role as well. Um, and he, he probably doesn't get as much credit for that. It was a couple of years ago when, um, the world championships, uh, he was, he was on the team and he was the captain for USA. And I, I remember I was part of that group. Um, you could just see him really enjoy that role. Um, he's always, uh, been a player that doesn't get the credit for his leadership, but, um, so we've seen that this year with such a young group, uh, and and he's you know single handedly kept us in games and, and when maybe we weren't playing our best, but he found a way to make something happen and tie the game or get it to overtime. And uh, he's a he's a very unique player, and we're we're very fortunate to have him in Chicago. There aren't many days that I don't or am not reminded of how old I am, but I do remember sitting with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze at the Blackhawks Hotel out just uh, outside Chicago before the start of their first training camp and like literally two young boys. And of course, Patrick Kane stayed in your house, lived with you, Stan, at the yeah. beginning, and now he's a father. And I'm just curious what your relationship is like with Patrick now at this stage and, and do you, you know, I don't know, do, do you use them as a sounding board? Do you have conversations about personnel or about direction of the team or is there, it maybe it doesn't work that way, but I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you've literally known him since he was a teenage boy, you know, playing mini sticks with your boys in your basement. Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a good story. You know, looking back on it, it does seem so long ago. I guess we're all getting old, but um, <laughs> yeah, my, my son, he was, years old at the time he's 15 now and um we have a lot of memories of of patrick in that way where he was he was like a big brother to my my two boys and um yeah we have a great relationship i mean i have a lot of respect for him as a person as well as his knowledge of the game like he's such a such a fan of the game uh i mean he lives and dies for hockey and um great uh, insight into what makes players uh, as, as good as they are and great knowledge of the league, you know, from playing against these players. And, uh, you know, I do like to get his opinion on things. A lot of times it's maybe not so much personnel related. It's just, what does he see? What do you think about this? Um, Cause he's such a, uh, a student of the game. So um, yeah, like you said earlier, he's uh, it's a special relationship. I've known him for a long, long time. And, um, you know, I've seen him grow up in front of our eyes here to the point where he's now, like I said, he's sort of the leader of the group. And at least this year he's been um, not only with his play, but the way that he's uh, carried himself. And, uh, you know, we have a different group than we've had in the past. Um, and uh, but Patrick's been uh, excited to be part of it. I think that's, what's fun to see is, uh, he wants to win more than anybody, but he understands, um, you know, that he can play a role in a large role in getting us back to where we want to be. Well, and you mentioned being part of a team USA with him at the worlds a few years ago, Stan, obviously the, 
there's a bigger team USA that you're in charge of for uh, for the Olympics. And well, we hope we hope the NHL is going. That's not a done deal yet. And uh, I know that time is of the essence here. The you know between the GM meetings and the board of governors this week that there was mention of the Olympics and and uh, one hopes that the NHL and HLPA can negotiate a deal with the IOC. But I guess you have the gig until until told otherwise, right? <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, NHL participation and. I can't think of an Olympic Games where I've felt this high on a Team USA in terms of your options, your depth. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, over the years, you felt the U.S. was there with Canada, was there with Russia. But th- this, to me, will be potentially the best Team USA ever in a best-on-best best event. And that's saying something. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, well, first off, it is, it's is—it's an honor to be uh, in that position. You know, I'm very thankful f- to USA Hockey for the opportunity to be uh, serving in this role. And I, I've had the chance over the last 10 years to work in different capacities for um, USA Hockey. It, it's been something I really enjoy. I think it's uh, its a learning experience each time. You get a chance to work with different people who, um, you know, you, you don't really spend that much time with. So, uh, I'm excited about the opportunity and uh, I'm really um, impressed with the talent that we have. I mean, I've known that for a long time, uh, but obviously over the last couple months here, I've I've spent a lot more time really breaking it down and, and looking at players and um, putting ideas in, in my mind about what, what the roster might look like. And you're right, Pierre, it's a, uh, this incredible talent. And um, it's it's going to make for some difficult decisions, but, right, uh, right? But that's a good that's a good position. It means that you have a lot of uh, really great candidates to to make your team strong. So you know it's a it's a special event. Um, you know, like you said, it's the best on best. So these are the best players in the world from um, you know whether you know, Canada certainly looks like a really strong group, but you look at the Russians, the Swedes, the Finns, um, mm-hmm. up and down, there's really impressive players for all these countries. So I don't think you, you have, have any easy outs. Um, and as a result, um, it's a challenge, but it's the type of challenge that you really look forward to because it's uh, such a unique experience. Stan, can you walk us through now? Bill Guerin's the assistant GM uh, announced it when you uh, were announced as the GM of Team USA for 2022 in Beijing. Can you walk us through, like, what? Do you, how are you and Bill doing things? When will you announce your maybe more expanded management team or people who will be helping out with scouting? Like, are there? Do you and Billy have a, an Olympic board in your respective offices, like him in Minnesota and you in Chicago, is there an, a U.S. Olympic board? And how, <laughs> how we, what's the what's the process of, of starting to, you know, sort of hammer out what will be? Uh, and I think Pierre's right on. This has a this should be the greatest American team of all time. So how, what's the process? Yeah, well, first Bill's been great. I mean, he's uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's a really good hockey man from as a player, and now you can see. He's, He's done a really nice job uh, early on here in Minnesota to get their team in a good spot. Uh, so uh, I think at this point, what, what we're trying to do is um, just 
you want to keep cast a wide net at, we're, although we're it's close like you know we're looking at next february there still is a lot of time so we, what we don't want to do is narrow the focus too much too early so i think we're we're casting a little bit of a wider net now to try to bring in the, the group of players that are legitimate uh, contenders and now we've done that uh and now um you know what we're doing is we're focusing on the players uh, in in our respective divisions that it's a, it's a unique year here like we only play against our division in person um there, there's certainly the ability to watch all these players on video um and you know the, the players in consideration here for the olympic team are all they're all very well, well-known players they've been prominent players for years so um i think we have a pretty good read on on them i think the next big task would be to uh, choose the coaching staff which um you know, we have not done that yet. And I think once that happens, um, then um, we can probably get uh, maybe a little bit more focused on things because certainly in an event like this where you know, you're not preparing for an entire season, you're preparing for a few week tournament. Uh, I think you're, you have to be on the same page as your coach um, as far as, you know, the, whether it's the style of play or the style of player that, um, you know, certain players are, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who the coach is, you know, that they're going to be effective. But then other other things as you start getting down to the roles, um, I think it's important to have the input of the coach. So that, that's probably the, the next thing um, that we're going to do, uh, you know, as we get through the end of the regular season here and into the off season, um, we'll, we'll focus on that. Um, but there, there's plenty of work to be done. And like you mentioned earlier, Pierre, there's some things out of our control that, you know, the NHL and the IOC and mm-hmm. IHF are, are working through. And, and hopefully we can uh, get that all straightened out so that uh, we'll definitely be going forward like that. How much of an impact, if at all, is the fact that, you know, and I was kind of amazed when when I confirmed this, and, and but the tournament's going to be played on the NHL ice. <laughs> And, right. uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, I don't have to tell you that, you know, in Sochi, Canada in particular, I mean, they made such a big deal about, you know, bringing in Ralph Kruger and I, I nicknamed him Dr. Big Eyes, but they, there was such a, a concerted effort to alter really their playing style because of the lack of success Canada had, had generally speaking, on Big Eyes. And, and as it turns out, this is going to be on the ice that you guys are used to. <laughs> Uh, in, in Beijing, I mean, does that affect maybe two or three roster decisions, or or is that overblown? Do you think? Well, I, I I think it's actually helpful that it, that is the case because um, your first instinct international competition it's going to be on the larger ice surface, and it, it does change things. Uh, you know, not dramatically. I mean, at the end of the day, it's hockey, still hockey, but um, the different dimensions d- does change some aspects of it. So the fact that we're going to be using the NHL size uh, rink. I, I think it it probably simplifies the selection process a little bit because this is what we're used to watching is these players perform in the NHL on, on that, that size rink. So I think in this instance, it's uh, it's actually probably going to make things a little bit easier, simplify it for us. Stan, when you when you think about the the pool of talent that's available to you, the, to me one of the interesting dynamics is that, of course, without NHL participation in South Korea in 2018, I mean, we're going to be eight years between 
hopefully, NHL participation in Olympic Games. He had a World Cup of Hockey, which was you know sort of hybrid. There were some wrinkles to it in, in 2016. But there it, there isn't going to be the sort of normal transition, you know, like we've seen from Canada from Olympic Games to Olympic Games. And I think the same with Team USA, you know, from Vancouver to Sochi. Does that make it harder or is what kind of challenges does that present because there isn't that kind of you know connection between best on best um events well i suppose from an analysis point it might make it harder but from our standpoint we're we're kind of fo- we're looking forward not really looking backwards to what was most recently and you're right it's it's been a while since it's been this format but i don't know that that changes anything for me um I think when you maybe talking about it or trying to build up to it, there's not as much you can look back to the most recent Olympics and see what went well and what didn't. That, that's not really applicable now. But right. um, but we're you know when we're building the team, we're we're probably not focused on that anyway. We're we're looking forward to what could be and what players are going to help us you know, in certain capacities. So I, I think for us, it's not really an issue. Um, and I guess the last thing I would ask on, on TUSA before we move on here, Stan, is, uh, is your depth and goal. <laughs> uh, I think you got to feel pretty good about your options there and arguably the best goaltending in the tournament, although Andrew Vasilevsky might have a different say in that <laughs> for Russia. But, uh, you know, we, we Talk about uh, about Hellebuck and, and Gibson and your other choices. Uh, that's a pretty good spot to be in for you guys. Very much so. Yeah, I I was fortunate enough to work on the uh, the World Cup event. I was with the the North Team North America, and uh, I remember when we were planning that about a year out from uh, beginning. I was working with Peter Shirelli building that team, and we actually were were trying to get a, an exemption from the league to to allow us to. We had no goalies when we started the process. All right, I remember this. Yes. Yeah. Gibson and Hellebuck hadn't even played yet, and Matt Murray would. And and then by the end of that season, uh, when we actually had to choose the team, the, all three of those goalies had broken through to the NHL. But they were when we first started to sit down and talk about the team. They were not even in the NHL yet, and uh, here we are now, a number of years later, and and those two. Uh, well, Gibson and Hellebuck, obviously in particular, as Americans, they're they're prominent goaltenders in the league. So, yes, it, it's a um, uh, it's not just those two. We have we have other goalies too. So I think um, we're in a good spot from that perspective, which is uh, it's clearly a a very important position to be strong at. So um, yeah, that's good stuff uh stan just before we let you go you uh, alluded to jonathan taze and of course uh unable to play this season but it does sound in recent days like there's been at least some initial signs of optimism that he may be able to return i, I just wonder what it, that's been like for you and again knowing jonathan as you as you have patrick kane for you know from the very beginning um what it's been like for you this season in terms of keeping um up with him and communication with the Jonathan and, and his group. And if there is any kind of update on, on what we might expect um, vis-a-vis a potential return for him next season. I have talked to Jonathan uh, recently uh, a couple, you know, certainly a few times throughout the year. I, what I tried to do 
I spoke to him right before our season began and it was to give him the space and not be checking in with him weekly to saying what what's the update you know I we kind of left it where um we'll stay in touch but um you know when when you have something to share you know we'll be here for you in the meantime we're going to let you um take care of yourself so uh but I had a good chat with Jonathan recently and kind of along those lines um you know he's uh he's doing well um you know he's certainly not back playing but uh you know can report that he he we had a good conversation and um you know nothing's changed for the future as far as looking ahead to next year um we kind of take it as it comes but uh you know none of us can predict the future but um i'm yeah i had a good chat with him and uh, we talked about our team for a while and just not even about hockey for a while and uh, it was good to reconnect with him. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think in, in today's world, I understand the desire. Everybody cares about Johnny and they want the update. They want to know what's going on. And it's coming from a place of uh, concern for him. But I also know that uh, sometimes you have to let people do things on their, ter- their terms and their time. And, you know, at, at some point, I'll kind of let Jonathan speak for himself. But uh, I, I would say it, it's a it's good news, not bad news. When I spoke to with him um, recently, well, that would be great to to have him back. You might you might be getting a call from Doug Armstrong stand to get an update too, right? In terms of the Olympics, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right, it's uh, great. No kidding. Good stuff. All right. Well, Stan, we're going to let you get back on with your busy day, but it's uh, it's always great to catch up. And, and thank you for sharing your thoughts on the Blackhawks and Team USA. And uh, I know I, uh, I'm sure I can speak for Pierre on, on this. It'd be nice to catch up in a real rink, uh, uh, watching some real hockey down the road. But uh, thank you so much for coming and hang- hanging out with us today. It's been great. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Good talking to both of you. And uh, we'll certainly keep in touch as we go forward here. Thank you, Stan. All right, take care. I always like to talk to Stan Bowman, Pierre. It just—it's always a very, you know, it's just very thoughtful and measured. And uh, I—I'm—I'm I'm pumped to see uh, how this Team USA uh, um, reveals itself because lots of options. And, I, and your question on the uh, on the NHL style style ice is is critical because it's you know there's a high end high level of skill, but there's also there's tons of interesting character grit type players that that could make their case to be on team USA and 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 you know facing off against team Canada or Finland that will be you know hard to play against but uh what what's your what, do you have an issue do you an initial thought on team USA and 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 where they might fit in oh my gosh like I just think you know, one of the things that we've always done, as you know, is when Cat announces their best on best roster, we do a, a B team <laughs> just right. to show that that, that team they, snub. <laughs> yeah, because the B team is is pretty darn impressive. I think you're going to be able to do it for Team USA with the same kind of level of can you can you believe these 23 guys weren't named? I think that's how difficult these choices are going to be, but difficult in a good way. Um, and just just I mean. Outside of the obvious, you know, Matthews, Kane, etc. But the guys that have really, like Kyle Connor in Winnipeg, I mean, 
he's one of the best wingers in the NHL. Like I, the the options for for Stan Bowman here and putting this team together are just are just ridiculous. And again, in goal, I mean, arguably, you know, I think the debate these days is between Halibut and Vasilevsky, right? Uh, in terms of the best two goalies in the world, and then John Gibson. Uh, has faced a lot of rubber the last couple of years. Uh, I think he'll fare a little better in a Team USA uniform. So they're, they're deep in goal. They're deep on the blue line. Um, it's, uh, you know, that's that's going to be a hell of a team. And, you know, you got Adam Fox, uh, who's who's in the Norris conversation this year, part of this youth movement for Team USA. It's, uh, it's going to be a roster to behold, I think. Oh my gosh. And even in the last three or four months, I remember putting together sort of the shadow US roster, uh, you know, in early February. So we were projecting a year out from the start of the 22 Olympics in Beijing. And, you know, like guys like Alex DeBrincat weren't even, like, uh, listen, I admit it. I don't, he wasn't on my roster. I don't, Adam Fox wasn't. I might have mentioned him, but he wasn't on my roster either. And both those guys, I think you would probably put in now as locks. But to your point, I mean, there are going to be there are going to be very very good players who 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 don't get who don't get into this U.S. roster if it, if it unfolds the way we hope that it does with the NHL back in the Olympics next February. So. Mm-hmm. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And you know what the great thing about uh, you mentioning Adam Fox is it's a great segue because ah, I knew that yeah, was coming. It's a great segue. You know, listen, you're, 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 hey, I'm paying attention this week, and it's a great segue into Ask the Dorf. We have some really great questions, uh, as we always do, but I'm really, uh, I'm really pleased uh, to transition into the question section, and this comes from Rob. At Ranger Rob 13, I wonder who he cheers for. But a question about Adam Fox and can he win the Norris if the Rangers maintain their standings league wide? At they were 14th, they have a uh, you know, we didn't even mention them in terms of playoff race because they're just you know, sort of just outside the edge. Boston's playing really well. In fact, I, I know, and Larry Brooks, our good pal from the New York Post, wrote this today, and I think he's probably accurate. Maybe the team most. Uh, not even like, but may- maybe in the sights now for the Rangers of the New York Islanders. But it's hard to imagine the Rangers being in the playoffs at the end in that tough East Division. But does that impact Adam Fox vis-a-vis his ability to win the Norris? Well, I, I think it's a slam dunk that he's going to be nominated for the Norris. Um, I'm probably leaning Victor Hedman right now. Um, and again, I think that 
being on a playoff team and not being on a playoff team often factors into how I slot everyone in at the end as a deciding factor. Not as not as the factor, but as an element to throw in there at the end when you got guys that you're so close together and that you're struggling to differentiate. But um, so it doesn't help Adam Fox that the Rangers might miss the playoffs, but. If he's not nominated for the Norris, I'll be shocked. I mean, I think he's a slam dunk to be one of the three guys in my mind. Yeah, It's interesting, and I know that, in fact, uh, our, our good pal Joe Smith in Tampa wrote this. You know, Victor Hedman's had some struggles of late, right? It's it's right. it's not that, and I think if we Don't had care. this conversation. Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> Six weeks ago, there might it might have been more of a runaway. Maybe it's a little bit closer now. All right. <laughs> you need to bring in the analytics in there to you. Um Danny Lambert, Danny Lambert, 17, is the West the best division? <laughs> I don't, I don't know that it is. <laughs> I don't think it is really. But and more to the point, can the Wild, Minnesota Wild make it out of the West division and make a serious playoff run? And we talked a little bit about this, but uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder if the West is ripe for because you know there are going to be some upsets. I wonder if the West is ripe for that. I mean, as long as they're pretty much healthy, I, I, it's, I think Colorado and Vegas are going to end up in the second round, but Minnesota is an unbelievable story. Like, I, I honestly didn't think they were for real and uh, halfway through the year, and now they, they've sold me. Like, there's a sustainability to the way they play, their structure, uh, the depth, uh, the different ways they can win games, uh, the way to defend. Um, they're for real, and they're going to be a tough out. But at the end of the day, uh, not only do I think Colorado Vegas are the best two teams in the division, but they might be the best two teams in the NHL. Yeah. So I, I just think, again, health permitting. I mean, you know, Brandon Saad now is out two to four weeks for Colorado. You just you just hope both those teams, Vegas and Colorado, can show up to the playoffs with their roster attack because that's what you want to see from these big-time teams is, to have a chance to, to really show what they can do with a, with a healthy roster. I only mentioned that because he just fell for Colorado last year in the bubble with it. You know, the top two goalies injured and so on. Kind of, it stinks because you didn't get to see them at their best. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. And, and it, I am I am fascinated to see what will happen in the West. I'm fascinated to see how Minnesota responds because, it, you know, for, for those kids, it'll be, I mean, this will be a real good learning experience for them, even if they don't. You know, aren't able to knock off one of those uh, top two teams, and that's assuming that they don't even. Yeah, you know, they could. You know, they could end up finishing in second. They could have home ice advantage in the first round. So it's fascinating to see. Um, bum, 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 bum. how about this, um, Ernie Morris? I'll, I'll give you a real simple one. Will Jack Eichel be traded this off season? Oh, you know, I'm gonna say no based on this very simple scenario. And it's obviously possible that he might be given everything that's transpired, but he's not at his top value right now. And I don't know if you're the Sabres, how you win this trade. If you go ahead and move him when he's a $10 million player coming off an injury riddle season. So I don't see the, unless Jack Eichel storms into Kevin Adams office and demands to get dealt. I don't see the value in doing that now. I, I think that you you got to get Jack Eichel back to being Jack Eichel before you even entertain that in my mind. 
are, are your feelings about the Sabres, have they changed over the last, uh, say, two or three weeks? I think Don Granado has done such a nice job there, and there does seem to be, now listen, it could hardly be worse, but it just seems like there's a, there is a different vibe around there, and I wonder if that extent, you know, like, of course, Jack Eichel is, is hurt, he's not playing, um, but I just wonder if there is sort of a fresh page element to what's going on in Buffalo, and you have to think that Don Granado is going to get a good, long, hard look at, at keeping that job. I think he's earned certainly the right to be in the in the final discussion. But do you, do you feel any differently about the Sabres because because they seem to have turned a little bit of a corner? Um, not really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's why I ask. Right. That's, that's good to ask. <laughs> All right, Ed, here's the final question. I always like to throw in one. As you know, my friend Al, he sends in questions every week, but we're not going to take one here. But this is from a good friend of ours, Steve Irwin. Ask Pierre if he he regrets not not getting Aaron Judge from me in our baseball pool. So there you go. That's it. (laughs) I made a trade that I'm in first place right now, which is fleeting. I could easily not be for the rest of the year. But I'm currently in first place in our AL-only Fantasy Baseball League, and I traded Glaber, Glaber Torres, the Yankee shortstop, this week because I got so tired of him struggling. But I traded him for Trey Mancini. Uh, but I had made an offer to Steve Irwin for Aaron Judge, and and Steve later told me that he, he wished he had acted uh, quicker because he might have said yes to my trade. So, But I'm good with Trey Mancini. He's an RBI machine. <laughs> All right, all right, my friend. Well, listen, it's uh, it's been terrific, uh, as always, chatting. I'm glad you're feeling better. Uh, what else we got going on here? Uh, you should join Ian Mendez and Sean Down Goes Brown McIndoe for the Athletic Hockey Show on Thursday at the Athletic. Uh, how about Brett McLean, the assistant coach of the Minnesota Wild, joins Mike Russo this week on Straight from the Source. Did you say last week you wonder if it, it has every single person in the Wild? organization been on uh, straight from the source with mike russo he never calls us though do you ever call you to go on the podcast uh he's he's calling to, to go on the radio with him but not his podcast uh, yeah, me all right um and you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the athletic app and rate and subscribe to the athletic hockey show on apple if you aren't already a subscriber i can't believe there are any people like that Go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Good job by you. Stay healthy, stay safe, my friend, uh, and we'll do it all again next week. Right on, right on. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.